This is Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 13. We'll go to the end of the chapter. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your father says, Sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it stands, it remains forever because it is God's own word meant for our good and his glory. Remember that main point. God reveals himself in the salvation of his people. Four points will get us there this morning. The first, God is unchanging. God reveals himself as unchanging in the salvation of his people. Second, God is active in that salvation. Third, God is powerful and mighty to save. Fourth, God is merciful and gracious, seen in such a work of salvation. First, as God goes about the salvation of his people, he reveals himself as unchanging. Verses 13, 14, and 15. The salvation of humanity has been uh, the unchanging narrative of God from the very beginning. Uh, God has not changed the narrative. Uh, This is reinforced when he says his name. I am who I am. If uh, you were with us previously, remember, that is the translation of his literal personal name, Yahweh, or uh, maybe you're familiar with the term Jehovah, uh, those, uh, the personal name of God, I am who I am. And, and when he couples that name with uh, the, uh, the names of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of the patriarchs, uh, of the people of God, of the Hebrews, we begin to see that salvation narrative bear itself out. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve needed salvation. They were going to die because of what they did, but God saved 
them. Uh, we see this call of Abraham, but before that, uh, there were so many instances where God, uh, 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 he reveals this salvation narrative. Noah, uh, this rainbow in the sky, I won't ever do this again, and Noah is preserved along with the animals. Salvation. Uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, we see this tower go up and you think, oh no, this isn't going to be good. They're trying to reach God, they're trying to be God, but God doesn't destroy them. God in mercy separates them and gives different languages. It seems so harsh, and yet there's a reality that plays itself out of salvation because God is showing himself as a saving God rather than a destroying God, though God is very powerful, and we'll see that here in just a moment. It's this constancy this reliability, it's this certainty of salvation that we begin to see just a piece of God's unchanging nature. Uh, the scriptures are littered with this reality. Sometimes a lot of people go to the epistle of James, where we see that, uh, that God is the father of lights. He is unchanging. Uh, he doesn't change due to any variation or shadow. You know, as the sky and the sun rises and sets, if you just, you could unchange the whole day. You could not move at all, and you would see your shadow go all the way around you. You think, oh, I'm not trying to change, but you still change. There, Time is going on, but God is outside of time. He does not change. He reveals that in his character. And as you see these other qualities, goodness and salvation, as these move forward and you see that God is unchanging, you begin to have a comfort and an assurance as we believe in the Lord Jesus that he does not change and that those who are his, he holds and he seizes like a, uh, like a mother bird puts her wing over the over the brood, right? We see that uh, picture in the scriptures sometimes. Uh, God does not change. He protects and he saves. His unchanging character is revealed in salvation. He tells Moses that even as he tells that personal name. And he tells, God tells Moses to tell the people that because they will remember that. They will remember that unchanging quality because God is who he is. I am who I am. Yahweh. Secondly, God reveals himself as active as he goes about the salvation of his people. This is in verses 16 and 17. Notice God's activeness in these two verses. Uh, God appears to Moses in verse 16. And uh, when we're reading the Bible, just after the first couple chapters of Genesis, something can happen in our brains where uh, as we're reading something on paper, we can forget the immense miraculousness of God appearing. Uh, the simple appearance of God is so incredible that it should give us pause every time we read the words in the scripture. But uh, sometimes uh, we are not as impressed, right, uh, that God appears, which is actually not all bad because we assume on this action from God, which uh, shows something of just how good he is, that uh, we would assume that and not uh, cry out for it. We just say, yes, of course, God appeared to Moses. Uh, there is uh, action there, and, and it is beautiful, but we, almost, uh, we always must remember there is no requirement for God ever to manifest himself in a way that we can comprehend or realize he chooses 
to have that action and to constantly reveal himself now in his word by the Holy Spirit. But he has no responsibility to us to do such a thing. We are his creation. He can do with us as he pleases. And if that is the case, as we see in the word, he can remove himself from us if that was his desire. But it's not. He reveals himself in salvation as a God who is active on our behalf, revealing himself constantly. Uh, there's, there's more, though. Uh, God's action can be seen elsewhere in verses 16 and 17. Uh, God observes his people's suffering in verse 16 as well. Uh, it means that God is watching. So not only is he revealing himself, you know, he pops into the scene and says, hey, Moses, you need to go. Uh, he, he's not doing so blindly. God is watching, even in the suffering moments. Uh, God has no requirement, again, to do that. And yet, God is in the midst. And not only does he simply watch from afar, but he observes. Uh, it's a stronger word. In other words, he takes note of. And, and that's very important as we see the third way that God is active in these verses right here, because God promises to bring his people out of that affliction which he had observed. This is verse 17. Uh, he, he promises uh, to bring them out. Appearance and observation is not the end goal of God's action. Those actions set the stage for the salvation action which is to come, the very Exodus from Egypt, of which this book is typically named after. God reveals himself as active in the salvation of his people. And that's our third point, because as God is moving these people out, he's not just watching, he's not just appearing, God is going to move them out of Egypt, the exodus out. Uh, we begin to see that God reveals himself as powerful in the salvation of his people. Verses 18, 19, and 20. Uh, children, I just mentioned this to you, so maybe you want to perk up a little bit. Who is powerful? What is power? What does it look like? Who is strong? We see that God is strong here in these verses. God lets Moses know that the king of Egypt will seek to thwart the plan of salvation. Uh, God says it explicitly. King Egypt's not going to like this. That's what God says. The only way, in fact, that this king of Egypt, this pharaoh, is going to let God's people go is if he is compelled. Here's God's solution to that problem. Verses 19 and 20 of our text. This is God speaking. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand. Uh, there's an inference here. God doesn't say he has a mighty hand. He says that there needs to be a mighty hand to compel the king, and so he will stretch out his hand. Ergo, he has a mighty hand. God is powerful. Here is an important question, uh, an important point, though, as we stop right here in this moment where we're thinking about God's power, where we're thinking about this need for uh, the king of Egypt to be compelled by God's action on our behalf. And it's not just action, it's powerful action. Here is a point that we must get straight. Uh, it's a point of application. Who do you identify with in this Bible story, in this, in this history of God's people? Who do you identify with? The easy answer is God's people, right? Uh, I, feel the, I feel the suffering. I feel the trials. Uh, I need God to liberate me, to, to have me exodus, 
out of Egypt. And maybe you feel like Moses. Maybe your uh, desire to teach and to proclaim, your desire to, uh, not in a weird way, but in a beautiful way, lead a revolution for the Lord. So maybe, maybe you're resonating more with the people of God, but with the leadership of God, those elders or Moses himself, that's okay. Here is the dangerous point, though, and where we need to stop. You must resonate with the king of Egypt as well. Because uh, we, in our sinful natures, must have God's mighty hand to compel us to leave that land of Egypt. If not, we would stay, and we would stay willingly, thinking we are the ones who are powerful. We are the ones who are in control. We are the ones who have it all or who can get it all until God's mighty hand compels us by the work of his spirit in our hearts to have faith in him, to do that work of salvation that we cannot do on our own. We are all little pharaohs of our own hearts. That is the point that we cannot miss, because if God does not compel us by a mighty hand, we will not leave the land of Egypt. It's the start to the very gospel of Jesus Christ itself. We cannot do it on our own. Who else should we go to, Lord? You have the words of eternal life, is what the apostle said when Jesus asked, are you going to leave as well? The Lord Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life. The Lord Jesus is the one who died the sacrificial death. The Lord Jesus is the one who by the sending of the Spirit gave you all his perfection and took away all your sinfulness. The Lord Jesus is the one who continually intercedes on your behalf. The Lord Jesus is the one who has your name written in the book. The Lord Jesus is the one who sees you through to an eternity of salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can sum up like this. We can't do it. God does it for us. Praise be to God. Let's live our life as such. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He is doing the mighty, powerful, active work on our behalf. We see it in the Exodus. We see it even here. But there's more. It's this gospel reality that informs the fourth point, one that we could easily overlook. God reveals himself merciful and gracious as he saves his people, abundantly so. We see this in verse 17 as well as 21 and 22. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, verse 32. Many of you will be familiar with this Bible verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Out of the salvation narrative comes the revelation of the immensity of God's mercy and grace. Because not only does God save, but God heaps blessings on top of the salvation. Verse 17, uh, this is what uh, God is saying. 
I will bring you out. That's the salvation part, right? Verse 17, I'll bring you out. I promise to do so. Not only will I bring you out, I'm going to give you land. And that land is going to flow with milk and honey, which sometimes can kind of go over our heads. But what he's saying is it'll be super abundant, excellent land, not uh, the rocky white clay that I definitely don't have in my backyard. Uh, (laughs) uh, There is a a beautiful uh, uh, um, life to this land. It's not bad or barren. It is good. I am giving you and heaping upon you the blessing of not only bringing you out, but taking you somewhere. Verses 21 and 22. Again, this is God saying, I'm going to bring you out, but when you go, you're not going to go destitute. Because remember, the people of God are enslaved. Not only enslaved, their children are dying. Okay, Uh, the boys are getting killed, slaughtered. So uh, the the children, uh, uh, everybody, it's super enslavement. It's horrible enslavement. All all slavery is bad, but this one is heinous, extreme, brutal. And what does God say? They have no they have nothing just the clothes on their back and the muscles that Pharaoh accidentally gave them from moving all of those bricks and building all of those pyramids. What do we see? You're not going to go poor. You're not going to go with just the clothes on your back. Rather, you'll go with all the treasure of this land that has oppressed you. In fact, you'll have so much treasure, your children will get some too. I hope you didn't miss that part. Uh, there, It's one thing, I'm starting to realize this. Uh, I, My children are still very young. It's one thing to have money to make it through the month. It's another thing to have money for your children. Uh, I, I, I'm just coming to the realization of the difference that that makes. And uh, perhaps you, like me, <laughs> you're beginning to realize it's a lot more difficult to save in such a way because of the costs of this world and things like that. But what do we see here? God's saying, I will bless you so much so that you're going to get enough stuff that your children are going to have it too. Uh, it's not just for you. It's for my people and your children are my people. Super abundant mercy and grace. God heaps and heaps blessings upon the ultimate blessing of liberation and salvation, revealing himself to be merciful and gracious. And here's the final application. God's mercy and grace. This is very important. God's mercy and grace manifests itself in many different ways. Let me just use God's people here in Exodus and Adam and Eve. I brought them up earlier. Let's use God's people in in Exodus and Adam and Eve. The people in Exodus, God showed them mercy and grace by giving them all the treasure of Egypt. He brought them out with a mighty hand. He revealed himself and his salvation in such a way that if you ignored it, you were, uh, you were ignoring flames in the sky and smokes of pillar in the sky, uh, locusts and flies and blood and darkness. Uh, there, there was such intense revelation happening and then a heaping of treasures and gold, gold that was heavy enough that you wouldn't be able to carry it all as you're walking out of Egypt. All of this blood blessing. You think, whoa, that's incredible. Where's my gold at, Lord? And then you look at Adam and Eve, and God in the same way blessed them. Uh, What did he do? He kicked them out of the garden. But what did he not do? He didn't kill them. Uh, God, uh, when he found out that that Adam and Eve had sinned against him, uh, he had every right to destroy them on the spot. Believe it. That could have been 
the end of the story, but it wasn't. What happened? God gave them clothes because they were so ashamed of their naked bodies. And so he gave them clothes because he did not want them to be ashamed. He gave them a good word. He said, yes, there is going to be consequence for your sin, but remember, I am coming for you. I will save you. I will crush that snake that tempted you. I will destroy your own sin. I am coming. But for now, you've got to get out of here. And so he gives him the boot out of the garden. He puts those angels with the flaming swords up and he says, never come back here. Because if you do, you'll die right now. He, in mercy and grace, super abundantly blessed them. But the blessing did not look the same as heaps and heaps of gold as you're walking down the streets of Egypt. No, it looked much different. Some of God's greatest blessings in my own life have not been what he has given me. It has been what he has taken away. Uh, we see this in, in the Exodus. You see it in later chapters. Uh, we, we won't see it in this series, but there is a reality that plays out, dear Christian, where we sometimes try to put God's heaping of blessing in the place of the salvation blessing. And as God reveals himself in salvation, there is a moment where his mercy and grace for you might look very different uh, depending on your situation. God's mercy and grace is established on the gospel of Jesus. But what it looks like from there, it's a personal, almost singular catering to what you need to see God more clearly. That is the mercy and grace, is that we would know him more and more. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, father of light, unchanging, all of these descriptions. How is it that you need to be blessed to see him more clearly and to love him more dearly? Consider your life of belief in the Lord Jesus today this week. Don't uh, look at your sister or your brother, your husband or your wife. Uh, don't look at your fellow church members this week. Seeing who God is as he reveals himself in his salvation of you, see what it means for him to heap mercy and grace upon you. Because that removal of whatever it is that you so desperately wanted might have been an unshackling from sin where you are free to move, where you are free to breathe. There is a moment where, uh, as you see, uh, for instance, how in the world have I gotten all this gold where God is revealing something? And in humility, you begin to see what it means to move because of such a blessing. Remember that God reveals himself in the salvation of his people. He is so good, and he shows himself for who he is. I am who I am. He is a God who saves. He is a God who is powerful, who is active, who is unchanging, who is merciful and gracious. And he is those things for you who believe in the Lord Jesus. Do so with me today and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for showing us yourself. Thank you for your unchanging character, for your action on our behalf, for your power for us and not against us, for your mercy and grace that you heap and you heap and you heap, even when it looks different than what we think. Lord, we thank you. 
for all of that mercy and grace. Ultimately, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for what he did on our behalf, for that gospel of, uh, uh, that uh, saves, and not only saves in a moment, but saves forevermore. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.